Welcome to the Bad Bitch segment. <laughs> Woohoo! Hi, I'm Court. I'm Kate. Here we are again. Yes, here we are again. It's and a lovely day. Yes, we are coming to you on President's Day when this is posting. So happy President's Day to everybody who isn't a president. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm happy for my bank holiday, but... Yeah, I don't get one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for waiting so patiently for me to get this fucking episode done. I'm really excited about it. Thanks for making me some cacao. I'm really excited about this cup of cacao right now. You're welcome. I hope it's tasty and it's everything you ever dreamed of. <sighs> I, I have three drinks with me. I've got cacao water and a high noon, a tequila one specifically. Yeah. We're trying a new flavor today, which I totally forgot to open it, so... Yeah. And try the new prickly pear on air. Prickly, new for me. Not prickly pear on air. Prickly pear on air. Here we go. Sorry about my nasally voice. I've been fighting a cold all week and I've been working through it. 10 hour shifts at the flower shop because of Valentine's Day. So yeah, working yourself to the bone. Yeah, my apologies. It's okay. Well, America, we'll try and get through it. <laughs> working through your sickness. You know, at work the other work. day, there was so many people around us just coughing and coughing and coughing great and it's just like i'm forced to go into this office perfectly healthy yeah to be around people who go to the office unwell because they can't not well it's all yeah we they can't not because companies love to backpedal off that work from home stuff they did during covid yeah sick people but anyway (laughs) We're not totally talking about corporate America today, or we're not talking about corporate America today. Oh, thank thank God. God. I'm so over it. So I got a lot of good feedback on my episode. I was really happy about it, so. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a very good episode. I don't really think I have any edits, per se. I haven't really looked into it. It was just a lot of fun to be sitting there giggling, laughing, (laughs) talking about penises, and, (laughs) you know... Just a nice little fun one. <laughs> it yeah. Was, it was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Again, we got to look into some more dirty bitches. How was your Valentine's Day? It was fine. I worked. Oh, yeah, you worked. And I was sick. Yeah, so not good. And I don't... I'm self-partnered, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I I celebrated with myself by I buying mean, myself... What was it? I have Five a guys and, and cheesecake I do factory. have a, a nice man's in my life, and he brought me my coffee table. I fo- we finally bought a new coffee table. <laughs> yeah. And it's really cute, so... No, I yeah. had a nice, lovely evening. So, the episode this week... Excited. Kind of kept it from you. I mean, you might not even recognize the name. It's just somebody that I've been really obsessed with. I guess I'm just going to start it out with a quote. I realized that even if I ended up being put to death, I would not be alone. That they would all be walking with me, and that is what gave me courage. I learned about the value of mass movements and collective struggle. That lesson has remained with me. For Black History Month, I wanted to highlight someone who I have found great strength in. Over these past four months, I've taken to learning everything I can about Palestine and Israel and how we came to be where we are today. And in learning, I found the words of Angela Davis. Angela Davis is a scholar, activist, and political prisoner who has spent the good part of 60 years advocating for feminism, prison reform and abolition, racial justice, and LGBTQ and Palestinian rights. 
She has written over a dozen books, attended mass demonstrations throughout her life, and continues advocating for a better world and teaching others while doing it. Davis has spent her entire life fighting for the recognition of the intersection of race, class, and gender, and how the interconnectedness of these structures can be used to maintain as well as dismantle the status quo. Angela Davis was born on January 26, 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama to a middle-class African-American family. Her parents were Sally Bell Davis and Frank Davis, and she had three siblings. Both of Angela's parents grew up extremely poor, but were still able to get educations. Sally was supported by her high school principal and Frank by his Episcopalian church. I don't know how to say that. (laughs) Growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, Angela was introduced to racism as well as activism at an early age. What is Episcopalian? Episcopalian? Episcopalian. Yeah, oh, okay. I said it wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's kind of a, I think it's a Christian denomination, but. Okay. I don't know. Let's see. Sounds like they're nice if they paid for someone's education. Oh, yeah. That doesn't happen in this country. No, no. <laughs> Growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, Angela was introduced to racism as well as activism at an early age. Birmingham was still racially segregated. Living there was polarizing. Sally worked with the Southern Negro Youth Congress and had ties to the Communist Party, while her father was a teacher and an Episcopalian lay minister who was much quieter in his activism. Sally assisted with the successful campaigns for the Scottsboro Boys, who were nine black teenagers who were being falsely accused of the rape of two white women. All of this instilled deep values into Angela, especially from her mom, that community had to work together to end the injustices that were rampant in the United States, as well as across the globe. Things in this world are not set up properly and didn't work for the majority of people, and that movements had to wake up the people who weren't directly affected by them to be impactful. Frank Davis eventually left the teaching profession to better support the family, and he bought a service station and a parking lot in order to do this. Living in segregated Birmingham, Angela experienced segregated schools, but was instilled with pride from her teachers who taught their students black history. I think that's really nice because it sounds like back at this time, I don't know, education just seems way more important and respected to people. And yeah, like the fact that she was taught black history and like that history wasn't being censored I feel like as much it is as it is now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, as they start to uprise, you want to control them more, so. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I just learned today that, side note, sorry. Hmm. I just learned today that there used to be a separate Bible for slaves that took out a bunch of different things about people uprising and people being a community and people, like, being equal so that they felt like... They couldn't be equal and this and that. Oh, my God. Well, of course they did that. Um, That's, yeah. Well, the Bible that people read today is so different than what the original Bible was anyway. Yeah. So let's see. Growing up, racism at the hands of domestic terrorists and members of the Ku Klux Klan was a regular occurrence in Davis's neighborhood, which was referred to as Dynamite Hill. Jeez. Yeah, because it was bombed by these groups regularly. Oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) 
So just a little history lesson. The KKK is an American nationalist organization that promotes an America made up entirely of white, Protestant, native-born Americans. Sorry, I just say that so sarcastically because well, like, native-born. That's they, not. Yeah, yeah that's like, an oxymoron. Okay, if you're talking about America. Yeah, like nope, nope, nope. You're take a take a ancestry or twenty-three me test, and it's gonna say you're all European. So <laughs> fuck off. The current iterations of this group are inspired by the KKK of the 1870s. This was a secret organization focused on terrorizing black citizens in the post-Civil War era, predominantly in the South, but there's KKK chapters all across America. And you know they're, they're still around today. Like, yep. they, like when I was looking it up, they tried to talk about it like it was in the past, and I was like, mm, yeah, no, no, of course. <laughs> This being said, being outspoken and African-American was very dangerous. Quote, people's homes were bombs. And this is, sorry, I'm, I have so many direct quotes from Angela Davis in this, like just from her interviews and stuff. So I'm pretty sure everything I'm quoting is her words exactly. So I just had to. Anyway, quote, people's homes were bombed. Synagogues were bombed. Other churches were bombed. People think of that as a single but it was more indicative of the pervasive terror at the time in Birmingham. So it was just like something they like were dealing with all the time. And again, this is part of American history. Yeah. And we're not taught. In junior high, Davis was given the opportunity to participate in a type of exchange program where she was sent to Greenwich Village, New York City, to attend the progressive Elizabeth Irwin High School. The program aimed to place black students from the South with white Northerners to promote learning and connection between the groups. And I'm like, why don't they do stuff like this? Do they do stuff like this anymore? I know like foreign exchange stuff happens all the time, but I don't know. It just seems like a really cool program. Probably because people don't want to come here anymore. Well, yeah. It was while she was attending this school, she was introduced to the Communist Manifesto, a political pamphlet written by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, published in 1948. Ooh, communism. Ooh. (laughs) This was a pamphlet that spread the idea of communism, and without going down a deep, dark Karl Marx hole that'll take me back to my college days, communism in its most basic definition is a political system in which all goods and items of value are collectively owned and distributed to citizens equally. We always say we're going to start our own commune, but we mean it like we're going to have our own self-sustaining community where everyone takes part. Not the scary Lenin version where millions of people starve. Just so you guys. (laughs) In her late teens, Davis worked a part-time job saving up her money in order to travel overseas. She visited Switzerland and France and attended the World Festival of Youth and Students in Helsinki. This festival is held occasionally since 1947, the largest being the sixth held in Moscow, Russia. And I forgot to put the year, but it was the sixth, so. Usually connected with communist states, it promotes democracy and is against war and imperialism. It was at this event where she met Yasser Arafat, a Palestinian political leader, chairman of the PLO from 1969 to 2004, and president of the Palestinian National Authority from 1994 to 2004. And I, we're going to talk a little bit more about Palestine later, guys. Sorry, I know you're all sick of hearing about it, but I'm going to keep talking about it. <laughs> That's okay. I'm it not going to stop talking about, about it. Yeah. 
During her European travels in September of 1963, Davis read the horrible news of the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham by the Ku Klux Klan. Four young girls were killed in the bombing, and others were hurt. Davis's sister was close with Carol Robertson, one of the victims that was murdered, and Davis herself had just visited Carol's older sister, Diane. Angela also knew other victims, quote, The backyard of one of the other girls almost abutted ours. We were neighbors and friends, and my mother taught yet one of the other girls. So we had connections with three of the four girls who were killed on that day, unquote. Yeah, it's pretty fucking sad. I remember listening to some other podcast, and it was interviewing somebody who, one of the people who had survived the bombing, and it's just like... It's a really fucked up story. If I'm not going to like, I don't have it all played out here to tell you about that, but maybe we'll talk about it someday. But it's just fucked up. It, like they, they killed a bunch of kids. Ugh. I don't know. The FBI had the names of the bombers for over a decade, but no one was prosecuted for the crimes until 1977. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> America! <laughs> Davis said this was one of the single most devastating moments in her life and it shaped her politics even further. Upon Davis's return home from Europe in 1963, she was interviewed by the FBI regarding her attendance of the Soviet-sponsored festival in Helsinki. I wrote the name differently both those times. I'm sorry, guys, that I'm probably getting one of them wrong. So the FBI had their eyes on her pretty early on in her life. Davis earned a scholarship to study French literature at Brandeis University in Massachusetts, where she earned her bachelor's and became interested in German philosophy after studying under Herbert Marcuse. He's a a German-American scholar and philosopher that she took a class under. I'm trying to, like, look up the people that get named because then it gives a little bit more context. So, yeah, he was a smart guy. She studied in Paris at the Sorbonne for... A year and graduated with honors and a degree in French in 1965, but she couldn't get the teachings of Marcuse out of her head. Quote, Marcuse taught me that it was possible to be an academic, an activist, a scholar, and a revolutionary. Unquote. She was inspired to enroll in his philosophy program at, at the University of Frankfurt in Germany where she became acquainted with the German Socialist Student League and participated in demonstrations protesting the war in Vietnam. Her studies here and work with the socialist movement led her to understanding that both racism and capitalism were dangerous to American justice. Eventually, Davis went on to earn her master's from the University of California in San Diego, her PhD in philosophy from Humboldt University and or the University of Berlin, I don't know if they are like sister colleges and that's why they were both they they were both named at in different articles so it was oh. kind of weird. Hmm. Yeah. Smart lady. Yeah, she's super smart. I love listening to her speak. <laughs> Davis was trying to find her place in activism spheres and worked closely with the Black Panther Party and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Although Davis connected with many of the ideals of the Black Panther Party, like Black Pride, she didn't like that there was a hierarchy and divisions between men and women, as well as their rejection of communism, referring to it as a white man's thing. Eventually, Davis settled into working with the Communist Party, because there did used to be a Communist Party here in the States. and because they were more welcoming to female members and they were focused on ending capitalism. 
Although she didn't fully align with the Black Panther Party, they would remain strong allies to her, and she would still work alongside them often, which pissed a lot of people off, because... Mm-hmm. I mean, and being a communist pisses everyone off, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, in 1969, at the age of 25, Davis became a professor of philosophy. Like, it's just, like, 25. I, she was a professor of philosophy at 25. I was a fucking spunion at 25. Dude, <laughs> same. Like, like, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, just floating through life, man. Yep. So, she's at the University of California at Los Angeles, all is well until ass fuck Ronald Reagan. Thanks Ugh. for nothing, trickle down economics. Yeah. He was the governor of California at the time, and he he got his panties in a twist about Davis's political leanings. Because, you know, being a radical feminist, calling the police pigs, her activism work, especially with the Black Panthers, he was pissed. So he pushed to have her fired. Ugh. Spearheading a campaign for her removal from the university. Davis did not go quietly, and she fought back with the support of colleagues and students. Victorious, the Supreme Court of California ruled she couldn't be fired because of her party affiliations. Unfortunately, the victory was short-lived when the university fired her only a few months later in 1970 because they were triggered by her speeches, saying they were too politically inflammatory. Oh my god. Which means I love her even more. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Reagan said she would never teach in California again. And the joke's on him because she teaches in California today. So Good. Yeah. Davis continued her activism work, unbothered by the man. Now she was working on the Soul Dad Brother Defense Committee, advocating for three black prisoners, one of them by the name of George Jackson, a mentor of Davis's who had been convicted of armed robbery in 1961. They were accused of murdering a white prison guard. While working to exonerate the three men, she grew close with Jackson's family, specifically with his 17-year-old brother, Jonathan. Jonathan would soon join Davis on her outings as an informal bodyguard. Tragically, on August 7th, 1970, Jonathan Jackson, armed with a gun, entered a Marin County courtroom and armed the three Soul Dad brother defendants. They then took Judge Harold Haley, the prosecutor, and three female jurors hostage. Quote, he took Superior Court Judge Harold Haley and four other hostages to secure the freedom of the Soldad brothers. As he attempted to drive away, police opened fire and Jonathan Jackson, Judge Haley, and two prisoners were killed. Unquote. And before I continue with that, it's just like, you're trying to stop the bad guy, but why are you unloading your guns into a car full of hostages? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Anyway... <laughs> It's like that cop this week. Did you see the video of the cop who got scared of an acorn that hit the top of his car and he like unloaded his whole gun into the car? Oh no! Oh my god, I'll have to send you the video. It's oh insane. My god. He's like, shots fired! Shots fired! He's like rolling around. Oh my god! It's the most ridiculous. Is that like a real thing? Yes, yeah, swear oh to god. god. He's like in trouble and stuff. Alright, stop doing coke on the job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's something or meth. Like, dude, this is the thing. If you're a cop, you cannot be that jumpy. Yeah. You need, we need more cops who are just chill, laid back guys who aren't going to, like, jump at the sound of a car backfiring. Well, it's also (laughs) the media perpetuating this thing about, like, people just killing cops. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah. Not to say that it doesn't happen or that, like, yeah, but. Ugh. I don't know. I, I just don't know. feel like all, all I ever hear is cops being 
scared and trigger happy and promoting them to other people. That's true. Anyway, sorry. We'll talk more about uh, the incarceration system in a minute. Oh, God. (laughs) This became headline news, this whole hostage situation and unfortunate death of these people. And Davis's face was plastered across TV screens and newspapers. So wait, the... The, the cops shot into this car and killed the hostages? Yeah, so it was kind of really hard to understand. And so there was a couple, like, weird, kind of differing versions of what happened. I don't know. I, I tried really hard um, oh, no, to dig it out. No, but it's, like, one version implied that he, like, armed the other brothers. But then, then in this quote... He's the only one that was in the car driving away with the hostages. So I don't know if it was he went in there, armed the the brothers, took the hostages, and they were able to maybe incapacitate the brothers already in court, but he had already, like, driven away with the people. I don't know. Oh, okay. It's really weird. But he drove away with them, and yeah, it says that police opened fire, and Jonathan Jackson, Judge Haley, and, the, and two prisoners were killed. So they oh. just opened fire into the vehicle as it was driving away. Wow. Okay. Indiscriminately, apparently. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So this became headline news, and Davis's face was plastered across TV screens and newspapers. Accused of being an accomplice to aggravated kidnapping and first-degree murder by August 14, 1970. But why was she suspected? The gun Jonathan used in the crime was legally bought by Davis earlier in the week. Davis maintains the gun wasn't bought for the crime, and she had no idea of Jonathan's plans and was shocked and deeply saddened by the death of her friend. She had bought the gun for her own protection due to getting frequent death threats from white supremacists, which I don't, I believe that. Yeah, of course. Angela was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list four days after the initial warrant for arrest was issued. Quote, I was represented as armed and dangerous. And, you know, one of the things I remember thinking to myself was, what is this all about? What could I possibly do? And then I realized it wasn't about me at all. It wasn't about the individual at all. It was about sending a message to large numbers of people whom they thought they could discourage from involvement in the freedom struggles at that time, unquote. Mm-hmm. Which they they still do, so. Yeah, yeah it's like a s- scapegoat situation. Oh, yeah. And, like, people who, they just want to get, like, the bad guy immediately or put it on someone and make it seem like, okay, it's solved and there's yep. justice. And yep. On October 13, 1970, in a New York City hotel room, Davis was arrested. Richard Nixon congratulated the FBI on capturing the dangerous terrorist Angela Davis. She was being charged with kidnapping, murder, and conspiracy, and facing the death penalty. For 16 months, Davis was held in jail, and the experience changed her. Quote, it was a time of learning, deep learning. That period defined the trajectory of the rest of my life, unquote. Prison was terrifying, but an important learning experience in many ways. She explains that what she learned while incarcerated was worth more than any education a school could provide. In prison, Davis realized that being working class, and especially of color, made it much harder to get out of prison. Many people were stuck in there because they simply couldn't afford the $500 bail to get them out. So they were basically trapped. And these are like minor offenses, you know, not like violent offenses. In a matter of days in prison, she witnessed women who had slipped through the cracks due to the most minor infractions, and she felt that her advocacy work was falling short. Up to this point, her work focused mostly on political prisoners and men. 
here in prison, surrounded by women and people of color, she realized these were the people who had been forgotten. Davis was witnessing the criminal justice system at work firsthand and realized that slavery was alive and well in America, and all you had to do was look at the incarceration system. Yep. Slavery was officially abolished in 1865 here in the United States, and that was when Texas was the last state to finally abolish it. For those of you who don't know, the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863 didn't end slavery immediately, and it left out hundreds of thousands of enslaved people, but allowed for enslaved African Americans to fight with the Union for their freedom. It didn't just let them free. Mm. The end, yeah. So the end of slavery is celebrated today with the holiday of Juneteenth, celebrated on June 19th. And they're uh, just so we all know in regards to the slavery in the prison system, there's a loophole in the United States Constitution in the 13th Amendment where there is an allowance for penal labor. Penal labor is a billion dollar industry here in the United States. And it said that incarcerated workers provide at least nine billion dollars in services to the prison system and produce more than two billion dollars in goods oh my god such companies that benefit from penal labor include verizon jc penny kmart walmart whole foods ibm wendy's and mcdonald's oh great <laughs> and inmates are paid pennies to the dollar quote more than 70 and this is kind of today Quote, more than 75% of workers told the ACLU researchers if they can't work or decline to do so, they're subject to punishment ranging from solitary confinement to the loss of family visits to the denials of sentence reductions. Unquote. So obviously this is something we're all still fighting for today. And this isn't just violent offenders. These are people held for minor infractions. Um, like weed too? Yeah, Even like non-violent stuff. Like, you know stealing something like from a you know stealing diapers like stupid shit like that when people get arrested for like i don't know and that's because they're not being paid enough to take care of their children yeah so like, like one of the number one stolen things in this country is baby formula mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah just comes to show you like where we actually stand as a nation like we don't take care of our people yep but you know but we're pro-life yeah we're pro-life but you know not when you're actually born yeah not when you're born once you're born you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps even if you're a toddler toddler. (laughs) yeah i mean they you know they're loosening up those child labor laws oh yeah (laughs) and then there's that Prison guards were horrible to Davis and believed her rhetoric was dangerous. So they would throw her into solitary confinement for long periods of time to keep her out of general pop. They didn't like her advocacy for her own rights and needs in prison. So because doing that would lead others to do the same and they didn't want everybody rising up, especially after, I don't know, this is, I don't, I didn't put it in here, but it was, I'm pretty sure this was like after Attica, so... They were like, really, they didn't want prisoners colluding. They were like, stay away from each other. You can't be asking for shit. I don't know. The abuse and confinement and time in prison pushed her towards her fight for the abolishment of all prisons and carceral systems. She maintains, and I agree, that these systems have little to no effect on crime. Just like the war on drugs has no effect on drugs. (laughs) Yeah. We end crime by ending the institutional structures that lead to the crimes, most specifically poverty. Mm -hmm. 
Prisoners are not being rehabilitated in prison. Sometimes they're not being taught skills for when they get out, which is a vicious cycle if you're just dropped back into the same place you were in with the same problems you had when you went into the system. Yep. To maintain her sanity and keep herself mentally and physically healthy in prison, Davis spent her time writing and practicing karate and yoga. And I was like, karate, that's cool. Yeah. I think that's what Damien Eccles might have done that, too, when he was in prison. Yeah. I know he did, like, Zen Buddhism stuff, but maybe if we go to prison, we can learn karate. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope that never happens. We're going to so, go to prison in a couple of years. We're going to be in prison for this podcast. Probably. Especially me. I'm just like, very <laughs> <laughs> <right>, double fisting <laughs> my cacao and my drink right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. While in prison, Davis quickly became an international symbol of resistance. Her face worn on the T-shirts of young radicals. This reminded me of Layla Khaled because everybody was pinning up her picture and it was kind of the same for her. She yeah. like she was just like the face for the movement at the time. Yeah. She wore her hair in a natural afro, which quickly became a symbol of the resistance too. Black hair has a long time of being policed, especially here in America. For a while, her afro became her signature to a point where she felt embarrassed to be known for just a hairstyle. Her supporters had gone international with the familiar rallying cry of Free Angela filling the streets. Davis's family continued to support her, even when being shunned or attacked for having a communist daughter. There is famous footage of Sally Davis speaking at a rally, cradling Davis's niece in one arm, and her other arm outstretched, fist in the air, an image Davis cherishes. Her siblings supported her too, Fania, her sister, traveled all over the world spreading the message to free Angela. And then the NFL benched her brother Ben for calling out journalists that would ask him pointless mundane questions instead of asking about his sister who was facing death. Quote, nevertheless, his wife organized the largest political rally in Cleveland around the demand for my freedom. Unquote. That's very on brand with the NFL to oh, yeah. bench somebody oh, because yeah. of something like that. So let me continue to ask about your girlfriend. <laughs> or like, <laughs> I did see an interview with Travis Kelsey, and it was this a little eleven-year-old boy, and he was like asking really pointed, great questions about like his relationship with Mahomes and like uh-huh. how he how the team was really doing and like his strategy and stuff and i was like damn this kid's good Uh oh a little sportscaster oh that's cute nina simone the famous musician and civil rights activist visited davis at jail she was so inspired by davis's knowledge and hefty bookshelf that she decided she needed to read up on more social justice i like this because i'm a big i judge people by their bookshelves yes love a good bookshelf Yeah, like if I go to a house and they don't have a bookshelf, I'm judging them. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And then you you really got to look at somebody's bookshelf to really know them. Unless they like have a bookshelf that, like my ex had bookshelves. So I was like, oh, he must like, you know, have some sort of smarts. But they were books that his family had left there that he just Uh never got rid of or rather yeah. did anything with like they're just all like dusty and never just touched. all dusty and god and the, yeah it was all dusty because his house was disgusting Ugh. a letter from james baldwin to davis read quote we must fight for your life as though it were our own which it is 
and render impassable with our bodies the corridor to the gas chamber, for if they take you in the morning, they will be coming for us at night, unquote. Which inspired the title of Davis's first anthology that she wrote in prison and published in 1971 called If They Come in the Morning, Voices of Resistance, which she wrote entirely by hand for the, oh my you know, the first time around. And you know Stephen King wrote, I think it was It, entirely by hand? Oh my god. Time? That's like 800 pages. That's like a thousand pages. It's insane. That book is huge. Well, he also used to, like, have a coke problem. Yeah. Well, he wrote Cujo, like, super high on coke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, geez. Don't do coke. Yeah, don't do coke, as we said last week. (laughs) John Legend and Yoko Ono wrote and recorded a song about her called Angela. And John John Lennon? Yeah. I thought you said John Legend. Sorry. Oh, no. No. John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And Aretha Franklin received backlash from her own father for being a staunch supporter of Davis. She even offered to post her bail, but Davis's bail was posted by a farmer whose name I couldn't find on February 23rd, 1972. And oh, so I don't I don't really know what happened with that, but somebody got her out. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, and this was while she was still waiting on trial, but we're still in prison. I just wanted to note that. So, mm-hmm. Support from across the globe flourished. East Germany began pumping out publications, songs, radio spots, and rallies to get support behind Davis, who then received over a million postcards from East Germany alone. Quote, yes, a million postcards. School children were supposed to send me a rose for my birthday, so they drew roses on postcards. It was called One Million Roses for Angela Davis. At first, they started to come in big mailbags. They're at Stanford University now in the archives, unquote. Aw. Yeah. And it was like kids, adults, it was all sorts of people writing to her. And that was just East Germany. Like West Germany was also giving her support because at this time there was East and West Germany. Some of the most impactful letters Davis received while incarcerated were from Palestinians in Israeli prisons. Her support for Palestine continues today. When I said that Palestine was the moral litmus test of the world a few months back, I was quoting Angela Davis. This attention began to embarrass Davis, though. There was women all around her in prison who were getting no attention or help, no gifts or letters or solidarity or love. She was simultaneously grateful and ashamed, seeing so many around her who had gotten a bad deal and had no support when she had a huge network of people. All of this, and she also had the threat of the death penalty haunting her. Quote, I felt terrified that I might end up in the gas chamber in San Quentin prison. Ronald Reagan wanted to see that. Richard Nixon wanted to see that. J. Edgar Hoover. So many people were convinced that despite my innocence of the actual charges, I would be like Sacco and Vanzetti, the Rosenbergs, or any of the other political figures who have been put to death. And yeah, it was terrifying. I had nightmares, unquote. And Sacco and Vanzetti were Italian immigrants. I don't remember the specifics, but they were put to death for being accused of being communists or something. And then the Rosenbergs were Jewish Americans who were also put to death for being accused of being communist spies or something. Like, J. Edgar Hoover, like, went through... Or um, just, like, basically made up so much shit Dude, just guy, to, like, target people that he just didn't 
want uprising like with wow, the, really yeah they had like with the black panthers and stuff oh, yeah. and all those executions just walk going into people's houses and shooting up everybody yeah oh god what a du- douchebag at the urging of tony morrison davis wrote an autobiography that was published in 1971 and tony morrison edited the work at the trial witnesses swore davis was not present at the courthouse on the day of the crime finally on june 4th 1972 Angela Davis was found not guilty on all charges by an all-white jury. Angela said it was the happiest day of her life. And I'm like, thank you to the white people who did the right thing. (laughs) I was going to say that's pretty surprising. Yeah, especially, like, it was in Birmingham, so. Wow. Yeah. She must have really fucking, they had really no evidence on her. Yeah, it was just, they were, again, just trying to fucking pin it on her because they couldn't they couldn't pin the person they wanted to because they killed him you know Uh, like technically if you think about it it was like it was jonathan jackson that went in there but he was dead so they're like well who can we go after yeah and the soldad brothers were already all there anyway so they were already up on other charges the experience changed her deeply and fueled her activism she accepted several invitations from communist countries including cuba and the soviet union and east germany so that she could thank them for rallying for her release her speeches were attended by thousands of people the largest crowd being in east germany she took tours of universities and industrial centers as well as met with government officials the karl marx university of leipzig awarded davis with an honorary degree she was given honorary citizenship of magdeburg met with Eric Honecker, the newly appointed East Germany communist leader, and became a superstar of the German Democratic Republic, which was the name for East Germany, and they were communist. Angela was a supporter of the GDR's right to exist, that's the German Democratic Republic, and advocated for its recognition. As we know, East and West Germany are no more. Something to do with the Berlin Wall. I'm sorry, I'm American, and they breeze over a lot in the history books, and they also breeze over this a lot anyway in the books. So... This is something we're going to look a little bit more into because I yeah. know nothing about it. East Germany was a country in Central Europe that officially formed on October 7, 1949, until it reunified with West Germany on October 3, 1990. Now it's just Germany. In the summer of 1973, Angela visits East Berlin, acting as the head of the American delegation of the 10th World Festival of Youth and Students. Okay, so she's at this, like, World Festival of Youth and Students. And I just kind of put a little note here that sounds like a really awesome festival. Like, oh, it's yeah. just people putting on great speeches. And, you know, she just spent most of her time, you know, after all of this, writing and advocating for justice and doing speeches. In the 1980s, Davis marries photographer Hilton Braithwaite, but the marriage didn't last. She also runs as vice president under the Communist Party in 1980 and 1984, which I think is kind of cool. Nice. (laughs) So broadening minds across the globe, but settling in California, Davis has taught at several universities and colleges, including Claremont College, San Francisco State University, and the University of California, where she taught from 1991 to 2008. After the fall of the Soviet Union, Davis left the Communist Party in 1991 and established the committees of the Correspondence of Democracy and Socialism. And yeah, it was just kind of after seeing a failed communist state and all that. It was like, okay, I can get down with the democratic socialism. Oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) She attends the Million Man March in 1995, and she 
And in an interview in Out Magazine in 1997, Angela comes out as a lesbian. Davis struggled with her sexuality due to rigid heteronormative standards in the 1960s and 70s, but has been with her long-term girlfriend, Gina Dent, for over 20 years now. So obviously, she's a strong advocate for LGBTQ rights and promotes intersectional feminism, but she found early feminist circles catered more to white culture and gender norms, which Davis wanted to break away from, and for a long time refused to even identify as a feminist which we kind of talked about that with the Riot Girl episode where the sister girls didn't really feel like the Riot Girl movement understood what they were going through. Yeah. Quote, the insistence that all of your loyalty has to be to women and that tended to mean white women. I can remember being asked, are you black or are you a woman? Unquote. She explains that for many black women and women of color, the two things are intertwined. Feminism is more than categories of women and gender. Quote, it has to involve a consciousness of capitalism and racism and colonialism and post-colonialities and ability and more genders that we can even imagine and more sexualities that we can ever thought we could even name. Feminism has helped us not only to recognize a range of connections among discourses and institutions and identities and ideologies that we often tend to consider separately, unquote. And I just get really excited talking about this, especially after I got dumped for being a feminist. And yeah. He's like, I don't even know what intersectional feminist means. And I'm oh like trying gosh. to explain this all to him. And No, there's no, like, there's just <laughs> no way you can explain it to some people. And I, I totally get that. I'm yeah. accused of being a man hater, too. Yeah. I, I'm such a man-hater. Everybody, like, like, my past two relationships, I was accused of being a man-hater. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not... I, like, dislike them because they I fucking mean, piss I, me off. But I, I also dislike men. Women. Men are great, <laughs> but I don't need a man. Yeah, exactly. It's like dessert. <laughs> They're nice to have, but I don't need dessert. That exactly. was a share quote. Oh. <laughs> share! <laughs> She's like, men are great. Men are fun. I don't need one. (laughs) I agree with Cher, exactly. I want that, like, hanging on my wall. Or, like, hey, uh, where her mom was like, just marry a rich man. And she's like, mom, I am a rich man. Yes. (laughs) Except I'm not a rich man yet. Yeah, well, we're getting there. (laughs) Capitalism. Yeah, no, seriously. (laughs) Hey, um, there's no ethical consumerism under capitalism. So, like, we're all going to have to take part in the capitalistic system until it falls. So, people who want to shit on people for needing to survive, like, unfortunately, we're all under a capitalist system. So, we all have to make money. So, we're not hypocrites. (laughs) Yep. Anyway. True. Yeah. With all this, she's saying that we need, we should be exploring, peeling back the layers. This is what feminism does It's to notice how everything is a little puzzle piece that fits together rather than separate entities. When discussing trans women, Davis wants to ask the TERFs and triggered cis women what they're threatened of. Quote, There are some feminist formations that are very opposed to the trans presence, and that is so backwards. Those of us who are more flexible argue that if you want to get rid of violence directed against individuals in the world, whether it's racist violence or gender violence, you have to support black trans women who are the target of more violence than any other group of people. And if we make advances in our struggle to defend black trans women, those victories can be felt by all communities that suffer violence unquote yes yes preach yeah 
So as we have talked about in the Dorian Corey episode. Yes, yes. It all comes full circle. Yeah. And also, like, why are people so obsessed with other people's genitals? You're perverts. Yeah. Leave people alone. Leave people people alone. (laughs) Anyway, in 2003, Davis published Are Prisons Obsolete? Arguing for the abolishment of all carceral institutions, prisons, detention centers, juvenile delinquency centers, and especially private prisons. She's been studying and organizing and railing around this concept for decades at this point, ever since her own stay in prison. A lot of people get a little scared when you hear prison abolishment because we're unable to conceive a world without crime or violence and the need to lock up the bad guys. But the real argument behind prison abolishment is starting in the communities, investing in the communities rather than spending millions militarizing our police. It's literally proven that when communities are invested in, when people are given hope, crime drops. So prison abolishment means ending all the things that lead to incarceration practices, like violence, illiteracy, drug abuse, hunger, and poverty. I'm on my fucking soapbox with this episode. Well, it's like even an education. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to ban books and stuff because you don't want people uprising, but now they don't want people to be smarter so they can get out of their position of poverty. Yeah, they want to keep people in their place. That's why they don't want to give us free education or free health care because we're just their, like, little worker bees. Mm -hmm. They don't... That's why they took, um, what was it, civics out of our educational system and taught us social studies instead, which is just... I don't even know. I don't even remember what the fuck social studies was supposed to be. But it was just history, basically. Yeah. And but civics taught us about the Constitution, which they don't fucking... At least we didn't learn it in my school. I did not have a civics class. I think we did. In social studies, we did learn the Constitution in my class, but I, I don't know, man. It's like you learn parts of the Constitution. Yes. You're just like, oh, freedom of speech. But you don't learn, like, all the little, like, nuances that go under that. Yeah, that's true. Or same with the 13th Amendment. People are like, oh, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. And it's like, yeah, except for the penal labor thing. Yeah. Which we have the most of incarcerated people in this fucking country. Like, I'm pretty sure, if not just in the developed world, but in the whole fucking world. So, yeah, we're, yeah. And let me apologize for not being able to uh, formulate a complete thought because <laughs> that I that is something I do struggle with and I still have a cold, so I'm even more backed up than usual. <laughs> I'm brain backed up. No, you're fine. I get it. And you're on cold medicine, so it's just like, right? Did you I'm take not. Any- no, I didn't today. When you're it sick, your head's just like, oh. It so. wasn't doing anything for me. Mm-mm. I took like non-congestion stuff yesterday and it did nothing. So I'm oh, like, no. I'm not putting that in my body anymore. Yeah, jeez. I'll just drink a bunch of tea. Maybe a hot toddy. I was just thinking about that. So Angela says that, quote, in many ways, you can say that the prison serves as an institution that consolidates the state's inability and refusal to address the most pressing social problems of this era, unquote. And yeah, it's just like, oh, we don't know how to fix this. So let's just lock them up. Like They do know how to fix it. Yeah, they just prefer They'd rather lock us up. They'd rather lock us up. They'd rather spend it on the military industrial complex or We're giving millions of dollars. billions of dollars out of midair to send to sent to other countries to bomb and genocide other people. Yeah. yeah. And we can't have health care. But anyway. Yeah. 
So Davis continues to advocate for the abolishment of the death penalty, too, which I would imagine is really, you know, having been somebody who was potentially going to be put to death, I bet that's a completely different, like, a really crazy experience to have to go through. The death penalties, I'm, it's always a very weird gray area for me because I know that a lot of people have been put to death that definitely shouldn't have. And some of the ways they have been putting, or they put people to death is really fucked up. And I know like the argument is, oh, well, they're being put to death. The people that they murdered didn't have a choice of how or when they died. So who cares if they are being put to death type of thing. But I don't know. It's also just kind of like, what does that serve to just like put somebody to death too? I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of people. But then some people I'm like, no, that motherfucker needs to be dead. Yeah. Take him yeah. or castrated or something. Yeah. Take him out. There's people that ha- that spend a lot of time on death row and it's like two months before they're about to be executed and then they get exonerated because they actually didn't do it. Or people who have gotten, like, pardons or exonerations, like, minutes after they've been put to death. Like, that's happened, too. Yeah. Just like, oh. And. That's a whole It must be such a mind fuck to go through. Yeah. When you think about the West Memphis Three. Yes. Yeah. It's another example of people just wanting to scapegoat. Like, oh, we put the bad guy away. Yeah. And not doing their actual job to find the person that actually did it. Yeah. And then, like. I mean, we can talk about what crimes get what type of fucking prison stays, too. I mean, oh, yeah. Rapists are like, oh, go away for 40, you know, 30 days and then right back on the street. Yeah, you'll be they, just like, fine. brutally assaulted somebody. Yeah. Davis also supported the Occupy Wall Street movement and was the honorary co-chair of the January 21st, 2017 Women's March on Washington that was held the day after Trump's inauguration. Apparently... A bunch of people whose names I didn't recognize, therefore didn't care to look into, were really pissed off by her words at the march, saying she promoted political violence, which I, I should Anyone promoted, but <laughs> if anyone promoted political violence in this area... It's probably the guy who got inaugurated yep. the day before. <laughs> yep. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. So... The Birmingham Civil Rights Institute rescinded Davis's Fred Shuttleworth Human Rights Award on January 7th, 2019, claiming she didn't meet the criteria. But after public outcry, they reinstated her award on January 25th and issued an apology. <laughs> so it's like, people just fucking, I don't know. Sometimes places give in so hard and it's like, dude, just, you gave her the award for a reason. Yeah. I don't know, whatever public outcry. Leave Angela Davis alone. She's a treasure. In 2022, Davis published Abolition Feminism Now in collaboration with her partner Gina Dent, Beth Ritchie, and Erica Miners, who are fellow writers and scholars. This was a sort of follow-up to Our Prisons Obsolete, but with a feminist perspective, and it addressed the need to defund and demilitarize the police, demilitarize the army, and halt all prison construction because they do not help, but only perpetuate violence, inequality, and structural racism. And I want to read that book. I did not read that for this. I read a bunch of articles, and I read Freedom is a Constant Struggle, which was 
phenomenal. Today, Angela Davis is a distinguished professor of Emerita of the History of Consciousness at the University of California at Santa Cruz, again, teaching in California. So Ronald Reagan rolling in his grave (laughs) and a former director of the Feminist Studies Department. She is still sharp as a whip, proven with my research. I've watched several interviews and speeches of hers. She's literally like the most recent video I watched of her in an interview was like five days ago. So she's she's advocating to this day. She's yeah. working it. So because of Palestine, she's become a great solace and inspiration for me. And with that, I do want to talk a little bit about Palestine because Angela was able to visit there in 2011. She says about this visit, quote, Most of us have been involved for many years in Palestine solidarity work, but we were all thoroughly shocked to discover that the repression associated with Israeli settler colonialism was so evident and blatant. The Israeli military made no attempt to conceal or even mitigate the character of the violence they inflicted on the Palestinian people. Gun-carrying military men and women, many extremely young, And just so you guys know, the average age of an IDF soldier is 20 years old. So, little baby. Yeah. And they were everywhere. The wall, the concrete, the razor wire, everywhere conveyed the impression that we were in prison. Before Palestinians are even arrested, they are already in prison. One misstep, one can be arrested and hauled off to prison. One can be transferred from an open-air prison to a closed prison, unquote. And this was 2011. Yeah. It is 2024. Yeah. Yeah. So. And they're just wiping them all out. Yep. In a little corner in Rafa. Just, oh, go there. Be safe. Okay. We're going to bomb people in tents now. So Amnesty International calls Gaza the world's largest open air prison. The International Court of Justice recently stated that genocide was likely happening in Gaza and that Israel must back down. Same with our useless president, who just kind of keeps feebly saving the same thing, being like, oh, you should probably stop killing civilians. You should really try and save them. But they just keep doing it, and we just keep sending them money. Oh I'm God. going off script now because I'm starting to rant. But. That video of Jon Stewart and, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the president, he's like, um, over the top. And, uh, Gawa, uh, Gaza... Uh, I don't know. He's so... He is the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. He is so, like... At least the Crypt Keeper can finish a sentence. Yeah, right? He was really sharp, actually. I'm not giving him enough credit. And (laughs) the Crypt Keeper, not Joe Biden. Um, (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. It's it's a joke. I digress. This country is a fucking joke. (laughs) Oh, my God. That reminds me of I got told I wasn't a patriot. And I'm like, here's the thing. It's more patriotic to want your country to do better and to, like, call out the bullshit than to just say nothing and be docile and consent. Like, dissent is patriotic. Like, wanting better for your country is more patriotic than letting terrible shit happen and letting our country look like a bunch of fucking fools across the planet. Here's the thing. Nobody wants their present to fail. Yeah. But he needs to be called out when Mm -hmm. he's being fucking stupid. Exactly. Yeah. He said, before I start ranting about old white dudes that don't need any more airtime, let's get back to Gaza. Residents of Gaza Strip have faced a decades-long siege where Israel destroyed their only airport during Palestine's second intifada in 2001. And intifada just means to shake off in Arabic... 
So don't be scared. And it just means it's their resistance. Like they want their their land back. Yeah. Leave like shake. They want to shake off the oppressors. So Israel controls all products going into Gaza to this day. And currently, Israel isn't even allowing flour into Gaza, so Palestinians have resorted to grinding up verd feed in order to make bread. Currently, West Bank, which is also under continuous surveillance and is separate from Gaza Strip, has experienced raids and abuse that have ramped up. And just in this past week, a four-year-old boy was mauled by a dog that the IDF soldiers had sicked on him. For oh, whatever reason. Wait, God, there's dogs involved with this? Yeah, I, I, I've seen some pretty fucked up videos involving dogs because I've seen a lot of shit lately. Like, oh. they're they're using dogs to do a lot. That's just <laughs> carry that bombs into places. So and... much because dogs are like, we don't deserve dogs. No. They're the sweetest baby angels on the planet. Yeah. And people militarize them too. It's mm-hmm. like, can we not? Yeah. It, it, like, when the most recent video I watched, it was, like, they used the dog to get somebody that they were trying to get. And, like, it's just, I don't know. I just feel like we shouldn't be training dogs to... Dog fighting isn't legal. We're not allowed to... You should not be letting dogs fight. So why can police train dogs to attack people? Yeah. Yeah. Thugs. Anyway... So I could go on and on and on about the abuses currently happening in Palestine, but I would be talking for days. A hundred and what, 34 at this point? So my point is, in Davis's career, she has been advocating for a free Palestine since the 1970s at least. Proof that the aggression that started on October 7th actually started decades ago. And the proof of it is all there in the history. For Davis, the fight for prison abolishment and a free Palestine are inextricably linked. Going back to the concept of intersectional feminism. How are these two seemingly separate fights thousands of miles apart related? For one, many of the U.S. police officers are trained by the IDF in IDF tactics, and the militarization of our police forces are reminiscent of IDF militarization themselves. Their tactics are barbaric and Palestinians have always felt solidarity with the African-American plight here in the United States, even offering advice to civilians sprayed with tear gas during the Ferguson protests. Davis feels that freedom and equality is something none of us can truly experience until Palestine has their freedom too. And that the only thing to get us there is mass movements. It doesn't matter who the president is, according to Angela, because changes are made by movements, by communities, not by people. If you want more info, please refer to her book, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, which she wrote in 2015. I found it simultaneously inspiring and sad, given it was written in 2015. So, well, it was published in 2015, so it was probably written like 2014. It was written at a time when Obama was our president, before Trumpism, before COVID, and before October 7th. But it's still a worthwhile read. I find Angela Davis to be awe-inspiring. She's extremely intelligent, tenacious, all while still putting off one of the warmest vibes I've ever seen. When she speaks, it's as smooth as butter. Her cadence is thoughtful and kind. She has dedicated her life to fighting for a more equal world, for equality across race, gender, and class. Davis has attached herself to practically every progressive movement she could in her lifetime and is a bright spot in a dark world, at least for me. 
I've watched a couple of her most recent conversations with people regarding Palestine, and again, she is a beacon of hope. And that, for Davis, is the most important thing we can keep within ourselves, hope. Hope for a better world, hope for our communities, and with that, I'll leave you on another quote that I want everyone to remember during this unbelievable time of heartache. Quote, it is in collectivities that we find reservoirs of hope and optimism, unquote. Aww. And that's Angela Davis, bitch. Yes. Fucking queen. <sighs> that was yeah. great. Yes. Thank you. That was amazing. Good job. Thank I, you. I worked really hard on it. <laughs> and, you know, that's why we started this, is to keep these people in the front minds of others. To keep th- these stories alive that are being whitewashed. Yeah. You know, because we want everybody to know that you can make a difference and that you can fight and don't be afraid of fucking old rich men yeah oh and speaking of this i didn't really write it in here but she um was on this thing it was it's called like ah fuck it's like this show where they look into your history your family history and like figure out you know what's going on with it they found out that she was related to she was descended from one of the people on the Mayflower. Oh. So that was crazy. And then also she's descended from a slave owner. And which, I mean... Most people were. Yeah, like a lot of people in America are going to be descended from that, depending on how far back your DNA goes or like when your family came. It's crazy, though, but I read about it and I guess I start. I laughed because... Ben Shapiro did a whole video talking shit about her because, like, he's like, oh, this this horrible communist radical feminist finds out she's descended from slave owners and she's been owned now. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Oh, my God. Whatever, (laughs) bro. such a tool. (laughs) Yeah. People um, try to find anything. Yeah, seriously. And... He's got, like, a rap song out, too, now. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Yeah, so that was Angela Davis. Happy Black History Month. I guess that's all. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was great. Stay yeah. bad, bitches. Stay bad, motherfuckers. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us again. Bad Bitch segment is written, hosted, and produced by Courtney Janicki and Kate Salamone. Podcast art by Mariah Vantino. Graphics by LA Promotional Design. Edited by Courtney Janicki. Music by Alexi Action. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Bad Bitch Segment. Suggest a bad bitch or share a bad bitch story by sending an email to the podcast at badbsegment at gmail.com. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible.